Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, it wasn't that long ago that our little peace Lutheran church here made the local paper, pictures and all. It was before we had these last few rainy winters. The drought we were in at the time, coupled with doubling water costs, got so bad that it had forced us here at the church to make some pretty tough stewardship decisions with regard to cutting back our water usage in the avocado orchard. We were the 12th highest water user in the Pleasant Valley Water District at the time. I know many of you can still vividly recall our orchard's barren stumps that resembled a graveyard after all the heavy pruning that was done and the white sunscreen protective coating we brushed onto the remaining tree stems completed the whole look. Our once lush avocado orchard had become in the eyes of many Las Posas Cemetery. Some community members thought we did in fact walk out to our own property and slaughter some 90 trees, which had been there for like 80 years. We got phone calls, we got complaints. This misinformed outcry became so loud that I had to put up a special web page and we placed street banners on our property's corner attempting to explain ourselves to any passers-by. One neighbor expressed to us that our little orchard was one of the last remnants of what Camarillo used to be, surrounded by fruit trees and farms. He said the trees relaxed him whenever he would see them standing there so tall and green and full of life, but now apparently dead. Key word, apparently. Apparently dead is how the prophet Isaiah seems to describe the scene for Judah in our Old Testament lesson tonight. By all appearances, they were going to be cut off and cut down to just a mere stump. That was already, by the way, Israel's fate from the northern kingdom. In Isaiah's early days, he witnessed Israel being laid to waste by the invading Assyrian army that the Lord himself had raised up to cut Israel down for her idolatrous ways and all the injustices she continued to inflict upon her own poor. And those 10 northern tribes of Israel were then forever cut off from the land. Then, for their arrogance, which vice, by the way, God especially hates, the Lord next took aim with his axe against those same Assyrians that he had just raised up, who were now, in turn, defeated by the ruthless Babylonians, God's then-chosen instrument of destruction. Now, it seems no one was safe from God's holy anger and righteous judgment. It's Judah's turn to face the music. Now, to face God's sharpened axe and to be cut down for her own sins and cut off for her lack of repentance and faith in the one true God, the God who rescued her out of bondage in Egypt. This message of judgment, it seems to find a place in every generation of God's people, doesn't it? Last week, Pastor Rob preached on John the Baptist, who warned the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day when they showed up to be baptized at the Jordan River. 
Even now, John cried out, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. You know, 58% of Americans believe there is a hell. Only 2% believe they're heading there. It makes you wonder, is that discrepancy chalked up to arrogance itself? Or are U.S. adults really that devout in their faith in a coming king, in the royal line of David, in whom we may take our rest or take our refuge such that we don't have to fear ending up in hell. You know, what's surprising to me is that people act surprised when you suggest to them that the entire human race is under God's judgment. And it's been that way for a really long time. The evidence is graveyards everywhere, graveyards next to churches, graveyards by hillsides. There are national cemeteries and the countless unmarked graves throughout the world. Do you think Adam, the first man, ignored the evidence back when he was given full access to every fruitful tree in a lush garden, including the tree of life? Every tree was accessible to him, save one. God told him on the day of his trespass, he shall surely die. Both he and Eve did eat of that forbidden fruit. But interestingly, you read on in the book of Genesis, the chapter 5, and it says, after Adam's son Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years. And then it says, then he died. But 930 years, that's a long time you could be playing head games with yourselves, yourself and denying the inevitable, your own death. 930 years is indeed a long time, but it's an even longer time removed from forever, which is how long God intended us to live with him and walk with him in his ways. We were all originally designed to live in peace forever with our God, with our fellow man, and with the wild beast in a tame, idyllic garden setting where work was not work, but a calling, a vocation, and a joy to do, even without breaking a sweat. Wouldn't that have been nice? But they, the man and the woman, were removed from forever, and they were removed from the garden and the tree of life, exiled from where God instead now stationed a guardian cherub with a flaming sword to keep them out of the garden. Nevertheless, and please catch this, mercifully, mercifully on God's part, God allowed the man and the woman not to physically die right away. But they were given a limited amount of days on earth, albeit in their time, hundreds of years, time in which to not only have offspring, but also time to repent of their sin. 
and time to teach their children of God's plan to remedy the sin that now infects the whole human race. That remedy is the promised seed, singular, the seed of the woman. That very seed which seemed to lay dormant for a while but now sprouts up in this Advent prophecy in our Old Testament lesson tonight from Isaiah chapter 11. In this beautiful picture of the messianic kingdom, Isaiah captures both the first and the second comings of this righteous branch, as he is called there, and the restoration that this righteous branch brings absolutely thrills our souls. Luther said this about the coming kingdom of Christ portrayed by Isaiah here. Isaiah prophesies more clearly and in more ways than any other prophet. Indeed, some have called Isaiah the fifth evangelist after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is why right here, on the basis of this text, we can call this series we're in the gospel according to Isaiah. Verses 1 through 5 in our text carry forward the gospel's promise first introduced back in Genesis 3 concerning that seed of the woman. And right at the passage's halfway point, verses 6 through 10 portray what is still yet to come for all those who trust in the promised Messiah and his return. In the first part of this Isaiah passage, then, this shoot is described as proceeding from the stump of Jesse, that is, King David's father, as if to suggest that this righteous branch is, yes, of the same royal lineage of Israel's greatest king up to that point, but now this is a second David. This is a greater son, even. As you recall, as great as he was, David himself had his own serious faults. And he lost some significant battles against the sin that infected him. But listen now to the description of this righteous branch that sprouts from Jesse's roots as Isaiah describes him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Did you catch that Old Testament sighting of the Holy Trinity right here? Think of Jesus' baptism by John at the Jordan River. There the spirit of the Lord rested upon him, Jesus, the son of David. And this righteous branch will have a sevenfold blessing of God's spirit, which, by the way, was traditionally invoked in the old confirmation rite. Catholics still use it. This righteous branch will receive the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Verse 5. Well, here in Isaiah 11, we have this big sweeping picture of the Messiah's two comings. Later on, in another one of his oracles, the prophet Isaiah will take a spotlight and zoom in on the events between these two comings. Isaiah 53 gives stunning detail on how this righteous branch himself is cut off from his people, his people who reject him, who torture him and hang him on a tree to die. 
Only this righteous branch suffers not for his own sins, rather upon his shoulders. He takes on the whole curse of creation pronounced upon the human race to Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden after the fall. And by this righteous branch of Jesse becoming a curse for us, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. By his death on Calvary's tree, paradise is thereby restored. Not all at once, mind you, but beginning with rising up out of the ground three days after dying on the tree, this righteous branch becomes for us a new tree of life from which we can freely eat and by doing so enjoy eternal life. He who believes in me, says Jesus, shall live even though he dies. John eleven twenty five. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And what is in store for all those who put their hope in him and await his second coming is described in detail for us in the latter half of our Isaiah passage tonight. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and a little child shall lead them. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and his mother won't have a heart attack. Okay, I added that last part. Scholars debate back and forth on whether this picture Isaiah paints here is literal or just an allegorical portrayal of the kingdom of peace. That's a fun discussion, albeit based mostly on conjecture. For instance... This portrait of paradise restored here depicts children present all over the new creation. Now be honest. Haven't you ever wondered to yourself, how old will you be in this new heaven and new earth that lasts forever and ever? Well, maybe, just maybe, we aren't stuck at the same age the whole time. Now wouldn't that be just like our Lord to mean what he actually said? Truly I tell you, unless you become like a little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Who knows? Now I'm not willing to end my days on this, or at least end my preaching days by espousing some new heresy. But one thing certainly is true. Isaiah's portrait of Christ's coming kingdom inspires the imagination. Here's St. Paul quoting Isaiah, chapter 64, to the Corinthian Christians. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Yes, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be good, you can count on it. Very good. Just look again at our lush, green, fruit-filled avocado trees in front of our church. They came back. Have faith. Have faith that takes you beyond your imagination. That last verse from Isaiah tonight says that the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then finally... In that day, the root of Jesse, 
who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the Gentiles inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You, my Christian brothers and sisters, by your faith in Christ, the righteous branch, you are grafted into that promised rest. You are grafted into that glorious hope because that hope finds its source in a shoot from the root of Jesse. Amen. And now may this same Christ who came once abide in your hearts through faith that you may be rooted and established in his love when he comes again. Amen.